Once upon a time, there was a young girl named Alice. One summer day, while sitting in the lush green grass and listening to her sister read, she began to grow very tired. Just as her eyes began to close, she saw a white rabbit hurry by, looking at his pocket watch and talking to himself. And so, she followed him. But I just wanted to ask you which way I ought to go. Well, that depends on where you want to get to. Oh, it really doesn't matter. As long as I can... Then it really doesn't matter which way you go. Everyone starts out with a once upon a time beginning, and we so want that happily ever after ending, but life seldom works out that way. Bad things happen, we make mistakes, and we can find ourselves positioned where we think there is no chance for a better life. But that's simply not true. Hey, Heritage, welcome to week two of our Once Upon a Time series where, with the help of a few familiar stories, we're drilling down into some simple but powerful truths that can position us to live fully in what is often a very complex world. For the last 10 days, my wife Beth and I have had the opportunity to co-lead a group of 46 Heritage Church family members on a trip to Israel with John and Patty. It was a great experience, tons of great moments of God showing up and teaching from his word. And as incredible as those experiences were, I got to say, it is good to be back home in the Quad Cities worshiping with my Heritage Church family. There's something about the gathering of God's people that when we cannot do this, something's missing. So it's good to travel places, but it's good to be back. Now, I also realize that I think we travel places as people. We go to different places. And, and, and life is a journey in which we travel. And as we begin our time today, I think it's important to acknowledge a truth, that we are all going somewhere. And if you're following along your sermon notes guide, that's the first fill-in. We are all going somewhere. We're on a journey, this thing called life. It has a beginning and it has an end. And what happens in between is as varied as the grains of sand on all the beaches of the world over. Yet as we navigate that journey of life, we encounter forks in the road. It's the expected and the unexpected. And each of those moments are points where we have to decide which way we will go, what direction we will step. Now, with the assistance of the three little pigs last week, Jason led us on a journey to really evaluate what we are building in life. And if you missed it, I really encourage you to go to heritageqc.com and click on the media tab and get caught up. It's some really good, powerful truth that he unpacked for us, kicking off this journey that will take us up and through Easter. But this week, we have a different story. What story is our launching point for our time today? Alice in Wonderland. Or if you go by the title of the original novel, it's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Written in 1865 by an Englishman named Charles Dodgson under the pseudonym Lewis Carroll. It's the story of a girl who follows a rabbit down a hole into a, a mysterious world filled with fantasy creatures and a lot of weird stuff. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. We saw a clip from that. In that clip, we saw a couple of creatures or characters from that story. Who do we see in the clip? We, we saw Alice, and we also saw that guy, the Cheshire Cat, a fictional feline known for his mischievous grin. Now, this guy, this dude's kind of funky. He, he gives some confusing counsel in the form of riddles. In fact, at a different point of the story, he says this. He says, um, when is a croquet mallet like a billy club? Whenever you want it to be. <laughs> kind of sounds like advice my dad would give. But listen, we, we see Alice in that clip meeting up with the Cheshire cat at a point where she's at a fork in the road and she needs to determine which way she's going to go. She needs to decide where she will step. And during that interaction, the Cheshire cat actually says something very profound. In fact, the, the original exchange as 
as Dodgson or, or Carroll recorded it in the novel goes this way. He wrote, one day Alice came to a fork in the road and saw a Cheshire cat in a tree. Which road do I take, she asked. His response was a question. Where do you want to go? I don't know, Alice answered. Then, said the cat, it doesn't matter. Now that's some pretty deep thinking for a cat. Even a Cheshire cat. That if we don't know where we're going, it doesn't matter what road we take. So if we take the reality that we are all going somewhere, and if we don't know where we're going, it's going to be really difficult to get anywhere of significance. And when we face a fork in the road, we'll get stuck. Yet, the more we know and understand about where we're going, the easier decision-making will be. And we will be able to face those forks in the road and know which way to go and not get stuck. But in order for that to happen, we have to have a goal. We have to have priority. We have to have a destination in order for that to be the case. Without a destination, without a target, we'll never miss. But nor will we ever hit anything. When I was about 13 years old, my parents gave me a gift I absolutely loved. It was my very first compound bow. This is it, right here. Some, like 30 years later, I loved this gift. I spent hours in the backyard just launching arrows as high and as far as I could into the field behind our house. And I developed some great skill just doing that over and over and over again. I thought I'd really figured out how to be a good marksman until my dad brought home one of those big foam blocks that used to be under an old boat dock. You ever seen those boat docks with big foam blocks? He brought one home. And he said, here you go, Sean. Here's a target for you. And I'm like, awesome. I set the thing up. I backed up. I lined up a shot. I fired. And guess what? Yeah, I, yeah, I missed. <laughs> so I fired again. Guess what happened then? Yeah, I missed. It took me hours and hours of practice to get to the point that I can consistently hit that target at increasing distances. Because the reality is, without a target, we never miss. Nor do we hit anything. But with a target, with a priority, with a goal, with a destination, that gives us a sense of direction. So we can navigate the forks in the road. Yet, too many of us repeatedly try to determine our destination by our direction. And it's really the other way around. That we determine our direction through our destination. One of my life verses uh, comes from Proverbs 16.9. It's just been a, a verse that God has brought back up in my life repeatedly. And it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And within that simple statement is succinctly and aptly captured the truth that we are created for his purpose. And when we live rightly before him, surrendered to his authority, then he determines our steps, or rather our direction, especially at forks in the road. We can actually say it this way. Our destination determines our direction. Our destination determines our direction. See, Alice was stuck at a crossroads because she didn't have a clear destination, which meant she couldn't determine a direction. Are you with me? I mean, let's move this into the spiritual life for just a moment. When we've surrendered our life to Jesus, it means we have determined our destination, and it's whatever he wants. His purpose becomes our destination. When we've predetermined to live according to his will, his purpose becomes our destination, and he determines our direction. He directs our steps. He determines which road we take. Our destination determines our direction. So how do we do this practically? Well, the Lord gave some specific instructions throughout Scripture on how we do this, but one of those moments comes from or through the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah uh, chapter 6, verse 16, he, he wrote this. He said, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And he goes on to say, and you will find rest for your souls. That's pretty straightforward. The Lord calls us to do four things through Jeremiah. To stand, 
to look, to ask, and to walk. Stand, look, ask, walk. It's almost, for me, it's kind of like a stop, drop, and roll version in the Bible. And, and it's very clear how God directs us to move. So since we're all going somewhere, and since we all encounter these forks in the road in life, we have these crossroad moments, what we do in those moments determines a lot. Yet, when we look for the ancient paths, when we ask where the good way is, that godly way, then we have a destination, and that determines our direction, and we know which way to go. Our destination determines our direction. Now, at every fork in the road, asking the right question is important. Really, really important. In fact, that's where a lot of us get tripped up. Even Alice was asking the wrong question. In reality, she was asking, not only asking the wrong question, but she was asking the wrong person. And many of us spend our entire lives asking the wrong question to the wrong people. And we get stuck. It's important to ask the right question to the right person. Because at every crossroads, every crossroad requires a decision. And every decision answers a question. That's why asking the right question is so important. Now, as, as weird as the encounter between Alice and the Cheshire Cat is, it actually reminds me of an encounter between Jesus and a rich man. It's actually found in Mark chapter 10. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. If you've got a device, scroll down to it. We're starting around verse 17. But this is a moment where a man who followed God pursues Jesus for some direction. It starts out in around verse 17. Jesus is on his way. The man runs up to him and he falls down on his knees before Jesus out of reverence. And he says this, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the man knew what the law said, but he felt like something was missing. Jesus responds in, in verse 18, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, clearly, this young man was devout. He diligently followed the rules of the Jewish faith. But he felt that there had to be more. So he goes to Jesus and he asks. And his response to what Jesus said is kind of like a, yes, I know them. I know that. But, but there's, is there something more? I feel like something's missing. It's not complete. I'm not quite there. And so after this brief interaction, Jesus looks at this guy with great love. And he identifies one thing that he still needed without any riddles. He says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that's, that's my favorite part of this section of Scripture. That our Lord looks upon us no matter where we're at, what we're asking, what we're doing, and He loves us. And then He says, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I want to stop there. I don't want to focus on what the man did because it doesn't really matter what he did. It matters what we do with what Jesus said. And Jesus said, go, sell, give, and follow. Technically, that's four things when he said one thing, right? Well, actually, it's four steps that lead to one deficiency, one lack. And it was a lack of direction. And a, a lack of one thing can make a huge difference, huge difference. It reminds me of a story of the NASA scientist that built a gun specifically to launch dead chickens at high velocity at airliner windshields, uh, jet windshields, military jet windshields, the, the space shuttle windshield. They're, what they're doing is trying to simulate those collisions of birds with those aircraft to test the stability of the windshields. Well, here's what happened with this story. Eager to test it out on the windshields of their new high-speed trains, British engineers fired the gun and were shocked as the chicken hurled out of the barrel, shattered the shatterproof windshield, blasted through the control console, broke the engineer's backrest, and embedded itself in the rear cabin wall. <laughs> the horrified engineers sent NASA the disastrous results and, uh, of the experiment, along with the designs of the windshield, and they begged the U.S. scientists for some help. NASA responded with a one-line memo. You know what it said? Thaw the chicken first. 
<laughs> Man, you know, lacking one thing can make a massive difference when you're testing a windshield or in many areas of life. Man, it was true of that rich man that day. And to some degree, he's asking the wrong question in that moment. But the reality is, lacking one thing can have it make a huge difference in our lives today. Because getting the right answer usually requires the right question. It usually requires the right question. Now, to really fully understand this exchange between Jesus and the rich man, we need to understand that Jesus used the present tense, ver- present tense of the verb, which means when he said you lack one thing, he was really more specifically saying one thing you are continually lacking. He was identifying an ongoing lifestyle problem for this man. And Jesus gives the solution. He says, look, take off the material comfort and give it to those in need. Give to those who lack. Give what you hold tightly away. And then he follows up with another present tense statement. It's actually more of a command. And he says, continually follow me. Literally, what Jesus said was, come be following me. Come be following me. The man needed to come and be. But he wanted to become. And we do the same. Many of us want to, be, want to become, but Jesus says, come and be first. We come to Jesus like this man, and, and we want to become something. We want to become free. We want to become healed. We want to become saved. We want to become successful. And I believe Jesus wants to do many of those things. But he doesn't want us just to become something. He wants us to come and simply be first. To know him. To experience his presence. To share his passion. To to follow his purpose. To share his heart for us and for others. To come and be. Then become. That's one reason he told the man to go sell everything he had and then come continually following him. But that rich man wanted to become rather than to be. And he sets his sights on a destination of becoming something instead of coming and being. It's almost like he lived his life leaning the ladder against the wall, climbed that ladder of success to get to the top, only to find out he leaned the ladder against the wrong building. And Jesus didn't want want to make the man sad, but he knew the man could only be happy by first being then becoming by doing what Jesus told him to do. Think about it this way. We, uh, we have this thing, we enter into this thing called life, and I think we often look at it and we think we have to become something so that we can ultimately come and be with God. And we think that's the journey. That we have life, we got to become something so we can come and be with him. But listen, that's direction determining destination. Really how this works, it's reversed. That we need to come and be with God first. And as we are with him, then through his son Jesus Christ, he makes us new creatures. We become who he wants us to be. And out of that, we live life to the full. That's destination determining direction. And too often we get it backwards. The rich young man was getting it backwards. You and I can tend to do the same because it's about first coming and being and then becoming something out of that being in his presence and with him. Look, who we are determines how we live. Who we are determines what we do, what roads we take, It's not the other way around. We we think it is. But how we live reveals who we are. It doesn't determine it. That's why Jeremiah's words are so important. Let's look at that passage again in a different translation. Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. And then he continues and he says, but you reply, no, that's not the road we want. And that's totally the rich young man. 
Because after Jesus invited him to come and follow him, he walked away sad. He did not walk with him. He said, no, that's not the road I really want. And when we actually finally get to the point where God himself is our destination, it's about his will and not ours, we actually then stop resisting the roads he leads us on. Whether they're easy or hard, whether they're joy-filled or sorrowful, we can live life to the full, and we can know the roads to take when he himself is our destination, and he directs our steps in our direction. So what? What do we do with this? Well, that depends on where you want to go. That's my Cheshire cat quote for the day. No, really, it depends on where you want to go. See, unlike Alice, we were not supposed to follow a rabbit down a hole and ask a weird cat which way to go. We're to follow Jesus. We were made to love God. And living for Him gives us a destination and a direction with a cause worthy of sacrifice. But we can say no, and we can walk away sad. You know, one of the other things the cat says at a different point, he says, only a few find the way. Some don't recognize it when they do. Some don't ever want to. Sadly, he's right. Few people live fully, but we can in Christ. We can in Jesus. However, we have to thaw the chicken first. We have to take that first step to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, to come and be. And that changes everything. When we come and be, then through Jesus we become new creatures, and that's when we live life to the full. It starts with taking that first step. And if you've never done that, if you're here today and you're spiritually unresolved, I want you to know that you can have a conversation with God right where you're at, and you can come and be with him through his son Jesus and allow him to make you into what he wants you to be, and you can start to live life to the full at a whole nother level. It starts with that step because then he sends us. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is why we say live sent as a church. We are the sent people of God, and, and being sent determines who we are and how we live. It's destination and direction. Jesus even models this for us and how he lived. In John chapter 6, verse 38, he said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You know, one of my highlights of, the, of time in Israel was walking down the hillside toward the Kidron Valley down to the Mount of Olives, to the place where Jesus stood looking over the city of Jerusalem and he wept over the city. That was a powerful moment for me. In fact, here's a picture of the view as I stood there. You can see the city of Jerusalem. You see that gold-domed building? That's the dome of the rock. And right around there would have been in, in that vicinity would have been the temple. If you look down to the right from that domed building, you see a square part of the rock wall. That's the gate, the eastern gate that Jesus would have gone down the Kidron Valley and in that gate and began those, that final season of that Holy Week experience that led to his crucifixion. It was a powerful moment. In fact, the next picture was us on that roadway walking down to the Mount of Olives, and you can see the gold dome building in the background. The next picture is the shot from that gold domed building back to the other side, and that white little line in the middle of that dark space is the exact spot from the previous picture. It's likely that was the road that Jesus walked down to the Mount of Olives. That's powerful, good stuff. But listen, I share that with you not to give you a slideshow of our trip. I share it with you because of what it shows me about who he was. He had predetermined that his destination would be the will of the Father. And that allowed him to walk down that road, stand in the Mount of Olives, weep over the city, and enter into the gate, ultimately die for you and me. Because he set his destination as the will of God. And when we, like Jesus, determine to live according to his will, his purpose is our destination. And he determines our direction. And then we go from, from wandering in life to chasing God. We go from, from this hurried, random hurry to radical holiness. And we go from predictable to the dynamic. To know how to do that, 
we've got to go back to that Jeremiah passage for just a moment. See, it starts out with him saying, stand, stop. It, it's to decide, are you going to follow Jesus or not? There's no middle ground in this. We either are or we are not. But then after that, it's simply the law. Not the Old Testament law. It's to look, ask, and walk. Look, look at it with me. Stand at the crossroads and look. That's where we seek him. We pursue him. It's, it's pursuing understanding. It's engaging the spiritual disciplines. It's study. It's living in obedience. You know, we're just over a week into our crave journey where we're, we're chasing hard after God. We want to hunger after him. Where we're reading uh, through the Gospel of John as a church one chapter a day. This is day nine where we're praying corporately, where we're, ga- where we're fasting individually. And it's been so cool to see God working and moving in and among it already. I can't wait to see what he does. And if you have not yet stepped into it, I want you to know it's not too late. You can still step in. In fact, the easiest thing to do would be to scan the QR code that's in your sermon notes guide or to go to livesent.today and follow the information there and step into this journey and be part of us chasing and hungering after God, craving him. The, the rich young man that we read about worked really hard at doing this first step of looking. Faithfully did it, but he knew he was missing something, and that leads to the next step of asking. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is. This is leaning into him. It's pursuing him. It's chasing him. And that rich young man does this. He does it with great initiative, but then he stops short. He doesn't actually step to the third component of actually walking it out. And walk in it. To come and be, then become, and live the new life that Jesus provides. Man, when, when we fully surrender to Jesus, then we daily look and ask and walk. And that allows him to direct our steps. Now, I want to move this conversation to a real-life practical example of how this plays out. Uh, for two reasons. One, it illustrates what we're talking about. But then it also shows how powerfully and specifically God responds and works when a life is lived in this direction. So what I want to do is I want to invite John and Patty and my wife Beth to join me up on the platform. You know, actually we had not intended to do this until we were on the trip back um, from Israel and we were in Amsterdam. We gathered at a coffee shop and we were just kind of talking through some of the things that God is doing in our body and the realities of the transition, and we just started looking and talking with each other and said, we've got to spend some time as a church talking through these together uh, over the weekend. And so, hey guys, thanks for joining me up here. Uh, we're all struggling through jet lag, but I'm so glad you're all still upright uh, and we're hanging in there. Um, I, I just want to, before we step into this, I want to point something out for those of you doubters out there. This lovely woman right here is my wife. For those of you, thank you. For those of you that wanted proof I was married, here it is. She's not a figment of your imagination, although she is that beautiful. She makes me better, and this is her. So, hey, um, thanks for joining us up here, me up here. You know, Sean, I thought that deserved more of an applause than it got. (laughs) We had a great time with Sean and Beth and a bunch of people from Heritage in Israel. Um, Walking in the footsteps of Jesus is an incredible blessing. But walking in the footsteps of Jesus is not just something you do in the Holy Land. It's something you do in life. Sean and Beth actually did that eight months ago as they walked towards Heritage without complete confidence except this is where God was calling them and we didn't know uh, you know we knew there would be a vote coming someplace in the future we didn't know what it would be and just two weeks ago as a congregation we voted and I know Sean and I unpacked that a little bit on a video last week but I just wanted to 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 lean into that a little bit today and just tell you that if you don't know it a 98% affirmative vote is an incredible call and an incredible blessing. And I just want to say praise God that as a church we have followed this direction. Thank God. So Sean and Beth stepped into uh, a journey with us eight months ago. And it also uh, requires some journeying of ourselves. And so we thought we wanted today to talk a little bit about the footpaths that Patty and I are walking right now. Yeah, I think uh, the reality is that the transition plan has been really solid. It's gone really well. We've seen God's fingerprints on it. And, and the plan at this point was that as we move towards installation, that, that John and Patty would step after that into a time of sabbatical. And then John would return back to the team in a special projects role and continue to serve uh, until two, June 2016. Um, and that has been the plan. But 
when you walk with God and you let him direct your steps, things can change. And one of the changes that happened is not long ago, the denomination called us as a church with a specific need and a request for help. There's a church that's been in kind of been in crisis, a larger church in our denomination that suffered some great loss, and they need they needed some help in identifying leadership to come and bridge the gap until they could find a long-term leader. And so they asked us to begin praying about how Heritage might help. And part of that conversation led our general superintendent to call John directly and ask him to begin to lean into prayer about what that might look like. Now, as Sean has just mentioned, our original plan was for a three-year process of transition where Sean would come and spend a year with us, with me being a senior pastor, and then me being in a supportive role for a couple of years. And that design, quite honestly, when it was written, was written without Sean in mind. It was just written as somebody's coming. And it was designed to have an old guy kind of be a steadying influence uh, and, and sort of mentor a, a new leader. But what we've discovered with Sean is that... Uh, He's a godly man and a great leader and a great teacher and really doesn't need my, the protection of an older guy. And so I was, I was the guy to do special projects. And then when uh, the denomination called, it began to be clear that perhaps this was a special project that was needed by the greater church. Uh, call of, the call of God on my life is to serve. Uh, 41 years ago right now, I was actually anticipating going to seminary and our denomination called and asked us to come to Heritage, a broken church. And, um, and we came saying, we'll stay as long as God wants us to stay. We thought that would be five years. And 41 years later, uh, five years has grown a long time. But the call comes to us again to say, Lord, our destination is to serve you. And so we'll walk the footpath that you have before us. Battle Creek uh, is in Michigan. It's in West Michigan. First Wesleyan there is a church that uh, has gone through a traumatic year. It's gone from about 1,800 people to about 700 people in attendance in, in one year. And uh, they need a steadying hand before they call a new senior pastor permanently. So the denomination was looking for an an older guy with a steadying influence who can preach and who can love people. And as we began to say, look at that, they thought, that's something John and Patty can do. And so they asked us, and more particularly, they asked Heritage to consider it because we're part of this church team. And it comes at cost somewhat to us and to you. Yeah, so uh, with an invitation to, for John to come and serve in an interim role there for a number of months, um, that led uh, us as a leadership team and as a board to start to work through what does this mean. And the board is totally unanimous in su supporting us leaning into this. But whenever we follow God, whenever we let him direct our steps, it's always, and we're going to have kingdom impact, it always comes with a cost. And so to lean into this comes with a cost. Uh, it, it comes with not having you guys around for the period of time we thought we would. Um, but as we look at this and pray through it, we totally see God orchestrating a greater purpose. And when we predetermine to step in accordance with his will, then it's just a matter of saying, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. And that's kind of what we're in right now. But it's causing us to change some of the plans we had, some of the realities of the transition. And it's leading to some personal changes for you guys as well. Right, Patty? Yeah, in fact, I would like I'd like to share with you uh, real personally for a couple of minutes about how I've gotten to this place. A couple of months ago, I was spending some extended time in prayer and in the Word and I got to John chapter 4 and was meditating on a verse that had been a life verse for me for a number of years. Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. As I read that scripture and meditated on it, I felt like the word finish leaped off the pages into my heart. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying for the first time in my adult life, you have finished my work here at Heritage. It's time to retire. Well, John came home that night, and I shared what God had been doing in my heart and mind that day, and he took a big gulp and said, well, we'll do whatever God says that we should do. Two days later after that, um, I heard about this amazing gift that Heritage was giving us to give us this sabbatical. So a part of me was really thrilled about that. I mean, God had already said, your work is finished, and so I was rejoicing over that. But a part of me began to struggle, and I began experiencing a deep grieving. 
You see, this place is all I have ever known since I was 22 years old. It's been my greatest place of ministry for all those years, and for 24 of those years, it's been my job. So I began agonizing before the Lord for four days, asking all kinds of questions. Questions like, who will I be without my role here at Heritage? <laughs> will I still have value to you, God? And And the most important one was, um, can I still make a difference for eternity? During those four days, I felt like um, the Lord gave me a word picture. I tore out a piece of paper from my notebook and laid it before him. And I felt like it was an illustration of my life. He said, Lord, for 41 years, this piece of paper has been filled with heritage. Growing the church pouring into people, teaching, preaching, praying, loving, failing, succeeding. But now, now it looks like there's another page in my future. And I took out another sheet of paper that was blank and said, this page is empty as it represents my future. So God, what do I do about this empty page? And as clearly as I've ever sensed the Holy Spirit speaking deep into my soul, I could tell that he was saying, I'm just asking you to give me the piece of paper. Let me write on it as I choose to write. Your job is simply to trust me, and I'll still use you, but I'm going to surprise you. And I wrote those words down. And so I gave the blank piece of my paper of my life, representing my future, to my Savior. After those four days, I woke up on a Sunday morning, and the grieving was over totally and completely and in its place was joy and peace and even excitement about a week after that the call came to us from battle creek asking us to consider this going to this wounded church it was something we never ever expected to happen surprise but after much prayer and discussion we felt like this really was the next step on that paper a couple of days before we went to Israel, it seemed highly likely that we were going to say yes to this and they were going to say yes to this move to Battle Creek. And so we decided that it would not be a healthy thing for us to leave our house closed up for up to 10 months, 11 months. And so yesterday we put a sign out front of our house. Um, it was another surprise in our lives. And so we, in the last couple of months, have been walking through the words of Sean's sermon today. Last night, several people came up to me afterwards and said, well, congratulations. And I'm not sure congratulations is the right word uh, to step into even temporarily such a broken place um, and to step away for a while from a place we love so dearly. You are our family, not just our church. You're our family. And we've walked the journey of Christ together for a long time. We go because our destination is to be whatever God wants and to use our gifts, the gifts he's given us, to serve wherever he's placed us. So we go with confidence that this is a place that God has. But it's not leaving heritage. It's being sent to make a difference. And it's, uh, I, guess, I guess a word would be good God to, from you would be God bless you. And we'll be praying for you because we desperately need that. I was reminded by someone um, after the last service that it was just a year ago, this w first weekend in April, that we were here interviewing um, to come to Heritage. And um, while we've known John and Patty for a while and known of Heritage, one of the things that you need to know about John and Patty and their legacy within our denomination is that anybody that would know John and Patty would say, they love, love, love their church. They have laid down their lives for you over and over and over again. And people have asked us with great concern, aren't you intimidated to come here and to follow 41-year leaders? And Sean and I can honestly say no because of this truth. As much as John and Patty love, love, love this church, they love Jesus more. And that just is a whole different dynamic. 
because Sean and I love Jesus more. That's why we came here. That's why we were able to move our family halfway across the country and, and step into a place of ministry with a lot of uncertainty. A lot of the journey's been surprising for us, for John and Patty. Um, one of the surprising things is um, we were just on this trip to Israel, and we were with a smaller group of you, which was great to get to know people a little bit more. And people kept saying, now, how long have you been here? Because we all feel like it's been so much longer than it really has because we deeply love you. God has knit our hearts together in surprising ways um, because this is what we know to be true. God loves his church. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm talking about the big C church. And he is in the business of giving his church what they need for the season that they're in. And so guess what? There is a church in Michigan that desperately needs exactly what John and Patty can give them for the season that they're in. And, and Sean and I believe he's, give, he's just brought us here and he's given us what we need for the season that Heritage is entering into. It is a beautiful thing when you see God at work in the life of his church. And he is working here strongly at Heritage. We're excited about this next season. And just because John and Patty are going somewhere else doesn't mean they're not a part of what God is doing at Heritage. We are going to stay in relationship. They are going to stay in relationship with you. It's just going to look different. It's going to look different than what we thought. But we are all at peace with it because we just see his fingerprints all over it and celebrate it. So... <clears throat> So let me just be clear and make some calibrating comments. This is not a farewell, okay? This is an update conversation. It was very important for us that we be clear, transparent, authentic about what's happening, even though we don't have all the information, even though we still have questions, we wanted to give you as much as we had as soon as we could because it's important and it's good and it's significant. Now, I, I realize that we're all at different stages of a grieving process because with the change of leadership comes that, and that's natural. And I know that some of you, you're, you're leaning into this already. You're hearing, okay, I, I, it seems like God is working out. He's directing the steps. I get that. And that's great. Um, it's clearly a Proverbs 16, 9 moment. But I also realize there's maybe a few of you who are looking at this going, something's not right here. Something's amiss. And I just want to be really, really clear and very plain. That is not the case. All four of us would agree that this is a moment where God is directing steps. And although we're, we're having to adjust to it and adapt and we have questions, we are excited to see how he's going to work. This is not a problem. This is not an issue. This is an opportunity. And, and I think for all of us, we're, we're processing. And you may have questions right now, and that's okay. That's natural. We have questions. We are around and available to answer questions. We will be giving you more information to come. This is not the last time we're going to talk about what's happening, but it happens to be a moment we felt was important enough to make the time to have this conversation. And again, this is not a farewell. John is, is he's just going to be on special assignment in West Michigan instead of here for a number of months. And um, trust, totally no. God's going to do cool things out of it. And we wanted to bring you into the loop and just be honest and real and and transparent about what's happening. So I'm going to ask Beth to pray for John and Patty and for us as a church. And then when she says amen, we'll step right back into our worship and wrap up our time uh, together uh, today. Let's pray. God, you are good. We know that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? God, in the midst of this change and transition and maybe a feeling of uncertainty, we affirm again as a church that we trust you, knowing that you love your church far more than any one of us can. God, we thank you for how you are clearly moving, how you are speaking, how you are directing. We pray that you would continue to go ahead of John and Patty. God, we pray that this season of ministry at Battle Creek would be fruitful. We know that you have uniquely equipped them for what that church needs, and we celebrate your, your fingerprints on that. God, we look with expectancy for them, but also for, for us as Heritage Church. God, we love you. We celebrate what you have done. We celebrate what you are doing, and we ask boldly, Father, that you would do more, more than we could ask or imagine for the sake of your kingdom. 
We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your strong and mighty name. Amen.